As we, we remain standing, let us pray together. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The detective novelist P.D. James once said, what the detective story is about is not murder, but the restoration of order. It's an interesting observation because it picks up on the truth that people long for restoration, to see things put back in the right place or right order. It's why we restore buildings or pieces of art so that they would reflect what they were originally intended to. I imagine the people in the day of the prophet Joel were longing for this sort of restoration. In their time, a plague of locusts has come and destroyed the land. Now it turns out that the locusts came because of the sin of the people, and this is the judgment that they have faced. You could read more about that in chapter 1 if you like. Having faced this judgment, the people long to see things put right because they know that something has gone terribly wrong. And this is the good news of our passage. The God they worshiped, the God that we worship, is in the restoration business. The business of taking broken things and making them whole again. And this is the good news we're going to look at today. We see primarily in two ways. God's restoration of his creation and God's restoration of relationship. First, God shows himself to be in the restoration business by restoring creation. At the beginning of our passage, God addresses three different groups. The land, the animals, and the people. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice. Fear not, you beasts of the field, be glad, O children of Zion. That is how the first three sections of our reading start. If you were to go back and read Joel 1, you would see that each of these groups is suffering significantly because of the plague of locusts. The land is being destroyed, the animals are groaning in suffering, and the people are in anguish. God highlights these three groups as an image of how he restores all things. Let's take the land and animals first. Why would they need restoration? Well, we tend to forget how, how tragic the fall was. The fall, the sin of Adam and Eve. Their rejection of God as Lord and attempt to set themselves on the throne of their own lives meant that they could not stay in the presence of God and were alienated from him. But that moment didn't simply affect Adam and Eve. All of creation fell as well. The fall caused sin and death to enter the world, and their reach is over everything including the land and the animals. They don't act as they were created to. They're broken, just like people are, and so they need restoration. 
God addressing them in Joel 2 shows how God will act to restore all parts of what he has created. He didn't create the world to function as it currently does, and so he will act to heal all things, the land and animals included. That is what verses 21 and 22 are all about. Verses 23 through 27 are about the restoration of people. While many forget the result of the fall extends beyond human beings, Orthodox Christians have no doubt of the effect that the fall had on people. After all, there is countless evidence that people do not act as they should. Joel 1 is just another example of that. Yet again, the people sin, and their sin has resulted in judgment. But in the face of that, God acts to restore his people. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain, as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. Vats shall overflow with wine and oil. What good news that must have been for a group of people who have been living through famine and plague. The Lord was going to act to give them food again, to provide in abundance. The people had sinned against the Lord and their sin resulted in judgment. And yet in the mercy of God, he acts to provide for his people, to restore them. His work of restoration is total. It encompasses all parts of creation. It's an amazing picture of the loving mercy of God, but it gets even better. Our passage includes one of the most beloved verses in all of Scripture. Verse 25. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. God's work of restoration is so complete that he will act to restore even the time that we have lost. I've spoke before about my years living apart from the Lord. One of the great regrets I have about that time is not just the sin that I committed, but that I committed those sins while claiming the title of Christian. You see, I was giving my secular friends an image of following Jesus that was not at all accurate. I made it seem like you could call yourself a Christian and then act however you wanted. Basically, the exact sort of behavior and attitude that Jesus says you can't have from our gospel reading today. Many times I've looked back over those years with a broken heart and I've prayed for forgiveness And that God would give me another chance with those friends and that he would keep me from making the same mistakes again. And you know what the best part about it has been? Over the years, he has brought in countless people into my life who are going through the exact same things that I went through in those years. Over and over again. The sins of my past, like idolatry of work, the idolatry of political ideology and party. I lived those out in abundance. He has brought so many people into my life who do the same thing and countless other things I'm too familiar with. 
And I've been able to minister to them out of those wounds from my past. To say to them, I've been down the road you're walking. I know where it ends up. But there's a better road. And God's willing to lead us down it if we would just ask him to. What parts of your past might God want to redeem through using them to serve others? How can you, as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, comfort others with the comfort that you've been given? Maybe it's an idol we had or a personal sin or failing that he's forgiven us for. Maybe it's a tragedy that was not of our own doing and yet we still feel the sting of it. God can use those moments to help others, and in helping others, he can heal our wounds. He can restore to us the years the locusts have eaten. Here's the challenge, though. All too often, we don't look to God for our restoration. In fact, we look to anything but God. And often, it's because of the years the locusts have eaten. We have these things happen in our lives and we get wounded by them and so we don't want restoration from God. We're upset with him. We're angry with him because he allowed these things to happen. He didn't protect us in the way we thought he should. For me, it was the death of my mother at a young age. Much of my years apart from the Lord was driven by the anger that I had because of that. I was so angry at God, I wanted nothing to do with him. For some of us, it's the close friend that has betrayed us or wounded us. It's the dream that was left unfulfilled, or the job that we always wanted but kept getting passed over for. For others still, it's a failed marriage or relationships. Often we know we need restoration, but we look to anything other than God to get it, to our our jobs or our friends or our families, all the time to ourselves as if we can heal ourselves. For me, it was work and politics. That's what I thought would bring me healing. Theologian Eugene Peterson highlights the problem this creates. He writes, As long as we think that the next election might eliminate crime and establish justice, or the next scientific breakthrough might save the environment, or another pay raise might push us over the edge of anxiety into a life of tranquility, we are not likely to risk the arduous uncertainties of the life of faith. A person has to get fed up with the ways of the world before he, before she, acquires an appetite for the world of grace. We constantly expect the things of this world to give us the wholeness we desire and to right the wrongs that we've experienced in the past, even the wrongs of our own creation. God, however, invites us to have a different perspective, to see that it is only in him that we find life and restoration. Verse 32 said this, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no other way. It is only when we call on the name of Jesus that salvation comes, that restoration comes. It is only by the cross, it is only by the atoning work of Jesus 
that we can have that restoration provided for us that we look for everywhere else. God is in the restoration business, and when we turn back to him, he is willing and able to go to work on our hearts and even bring some good out of those hard things that we have faced. We don't want to over-apply this verse. It doesn't mean that God is going to erase our memory of those events. It doesn't necessarily mean that he'll restore one-to-one whatever it is that we've lost. Rather, God takes what's in our past and uses it for his purposes and for our ultimate good. As Paul reminds us in Romans 8, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God took the sin of the people in Joel's day and used it to turn them back to him. He used the plague that fell on them in judgment to show them again how much he loves them and is willing to restore them. That is what God does. He restores things. He takes what is broken and he makes it whole again. He can do that for you. He can heal that thing, that moment in your past. Ask him for it. Ask him for his healing. Ask him for his restoration. See what he does with it. And he can do all this because he restores the most important thing, our relationship to him. Our passage ends with a prophecy that was fulfilled, according to Peter, at Pentecost. Joel writes, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is an image of God restoring his relationship with his people. He promises to give his people his spirit, his spirit so that we will never again be separated from him. Or as verse 27 says, You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. That is such an important part of the gift of the Holy Spirit. We tend to view him as the one who gives the the special gifts and and does the miraculous. And in part, that's true. Our reading itself points out that the the Spirit of God does some pretty amazing things. He gives dreams and visions. But more importantly, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the presence of God with us. He is the down payment, the guarantor of salvation. That is what we want to take away from our reading. God himself is at work restoring his relationship to his people, and he does it by pouring his Holy Spirit upon us. Our God is in the restoration business, restoring all parts of his creation, including his people, and restoring our relationship to him, the relationship we were always intended to have but we lost in the fall. Now, one of the great effects of God restoring that relationship 
is that he shifts our perspective on our lives and on the lives of others. What do I mean by that? Well, you may have noticed that what Joel writes about here doesn't sound too much like the world we live in. People having plenty and being satisfied, creation being restored and healed. That sounds amazing, but it's not happening. We don't see that. We don't read about it in the paper. What's going on? Joel is looking forward to what he calls the day of the Lord. Now, this will be a day of judgment, and frankly, the way he describes it in the book can be a little unnerving, but it is also a day of restoration, because the day of the Lord is the day when Christ will come again. When Jesus returns for his people, he will come to save those who have called on his name and restore all things to the way that they were always meant to be, to take away death and sin and sickness, or to use the words of that noble hobbit, Samwise Gamgee, to make all sad things come untrue. Joel is inviting us to have an eternal perspective, to know that when Christ returns, he will restore all things. And when we know that, what's happening in the world remains important, but it doesn't own us anymore. That terrible decision that some government made, it still matters, but it doesn't ruin our day or week. The snide comment from the person on the street or that helps you out on the committee that you serve on, these things just don't carry the weight they once did because we know something greater is going on in the world. You can still care, but it doesn't consume who you are. It doesn't own you anymore. There's freedom in it. Even when really bad things happen, it doesn't change the truth that Christ will one day return to wipe every tear from our eyes and turn our mourning into gladness and our sorrow into joy. That's what the reading from Revelation was all about today. Not only that, having an eternal perspective changes how we view other people. Do you notice all the different groups? of people highlighted in verses 28 and 29. Sons, daughters, old men, young men, male, female servants, which in this case meant slaves. God's spirit is poured out on all of them. On all who call on the name of the Lord. Not the ones we think most worthy, Not the ones who did all the right things or lived the perfect life, but all who call on the name of the Lord, all who believe in Jesus. So let me ask you something. When you're sitting in church and you look around, who do you see? That person that really likes that type of music that drives you crazy? The person that never does enough in the church while you're doing everything? The one who keeps coughing or making all the noise when we're supposed to be holy and in prayer. Or do you see one in whom the Spirit of God dwells? What about the non-Christian? 
When you see a non-Christian, who do you see? A pagan? An atheist? A heathen unworthy of our time? Or someone that Jesus longs to restore? Someone that Jesus died to have relationship with? That is the perspective that God calls us to have. It only happens when we call on the name of the Lord and are filled with his Holy Spirit because it is then that our perspective gets shifted away from us and our immediate circumstances to the eternal and eternal realities. One last takeaway this morning. The way that we respond to all of this matters. I love the sentence that sneaked into verse 26. God is talking about the people being blessed. And then we read, praise the name of the Lord your God. We see the same sort of thing in verse 23. Rejoice in the Lord your God. Praise and rejoice. Friends, those are crucial components of the restored life. Because let's face it, when things start going well, what do we do? We forget all about God. In the Old Testament, God is over and over and over again telling the people to remember who they were and what he has done for them. And it's because when things go well, we start thinking we did it all for ourselves. We restored ourselves. We redeemed ourselves. We forget what God has done for us. We forget God. That is why we need to praise him and rejoice in what he has done for us and rejoice in the restoration that he has given us because it reminds us that he gave it to us. What can you praise God for today? I saw a couple shocked looks on people's faces as I said that. Lately for me, it's my wife. She's been a huge blessing to me. This transition here, adjusting to a new call, a new schedule, the paperwork that I didn't want to deal with, a new city, kids transitioning on top of that. She's kept everything going. I couldn't do what I do without her. I praise God that he gave me her as a wife. That's what I praise him for. What do you praise him for? Even if it's the tiniest little thing, Every day, take a second to praise God for something, even if it's that he just got you out of bed. Or in my case with young kids, that he let me stay in bed a little bit longer. (laughs) Praise him for something. It changes the way you view the day. It changes the way you view him. You remember him a whole lot more throughout the day. Praising God shifts our perspective away from ourselves to him because we're reminded again of what he has done for us, of where our blessings actually come from. Friends, God is in the restoration business for all creation. Because of that, we can look to him. We can have a renewed perspective on our lives and on the lives of other people. We can praise him as he restores the years the locusts have eaten, as he gives us that healing that we all long for. For taking what's broken and making it new again. 
we can praise him for giving us a restored life through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the gift of your son. Thank you that in him we can find that healing and restoration that we long for. Pray that you would continue that work, that we would open up parts of ourselves that maybe we've closed off to that, that by your Holy Spirit you would show us where we need your healing and restoration and that you would help us to carry that message to others, that you would give us your eyes to see them and that we might bless them in the name of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.